We have a guest with us this morning that I'd like to introduce, if you'll just allow me to take a moment. Uh, it's the new pastor of the Big Bear Foursquare Church. His name is Pastor Mike Erickson. What's that? Huh? Say anything? Speech. <laughs> Just speech, not preach. <laughs> Go ahead. Go ahead. It's a good game. It's a good game. Yes, it is. Hey, can I just remind you to actually read this stuff at some point? Uh, it's everything in there is important. There are dates coming like wildfire here. This is a Easter week. We're doing the crosswalk on Good Friday. There's some flyers in the hallway if you want to walk across town in honor of youth and in prayer for our youth. Uh, I'm going to start here at eight o'clock on Good Friday and just walk and carry the cross all the way through town. Uh, Lucy Torres is kind of organizing that. Her numbers are on that flyer. And uh, that's Good Friday. And then I understand if you come to next Saturday night service, uh, you have to come early. I understand. I'm not really sure the time, and I don't even know what's going on, do I? So, <clears throat> anyway, there's a party here. Next Saturday night, you're invited. Is it in there? Is it in there? Oh, right here. It says, mark your calendars. Okay, so that's in there. Sunrise service next uh, Easter morning, 6.30, 7.30 a.m. Pine Summit. Then we'll be here again 9.30 next week, of course. We've got a one-day encounter coming up on the 25th. And then in honor of the Ericsons, and uh, let me just back up a bit. And Some of you are guests this morning, so... Uh, you may not understand the exchange that just took place, but Pastor Mike and Trish have been our associate pastors here for 17 years. And uh, were recently, this month, uh, or actually last month in March, appointed as the senior pastors for the Big Bear Foursquare Church right here in town. So we get to keep them in town and uh, watch their ministry continue to grow. And so on May the 3rd, we're going to get together and have a party and celebrate them and lavish our love out on them and give them gifts and honor them and and uh, it's not going to be a toast or a roast thing, okay? It's going to be honoring. It's an honoring. <laughs> so, so we're just going to put a big can in the middle of the room like a 55-gallon drum and just throw all our gifts in there. And I heard somebody say, oh, I got one of those rubber chickens. And I thought, what are we, what are we thinking here? <clears throat> you know, it's not the missionary barrel. But anyway, so that'll be on May 3rd. And we do have to confirm those... Uh, plans tomorrow but in the bulletin it says we're going to do it at Pine Summit that's kind of our goal to see if we can have dinner together up there and and, uh, just in a real festive atmosphere and uh, bless them on May the 3rd so get that in your calendar National Day of Prayer on the 7th of May and the Community Prayer Breakfast on the 14th I mean the next the next six weeks is awesome and there's a flyer in there about the sunrise service so I think I've done all that stuff I need to do uh, Lighthouse Keepers, this afternoon's our get-together. I do have a lot of things for you at 3, 3 to 5, so see you back here this afternoon. If you'd like to open your Bibles with me, let's go to Matthew chapter 21. If you don't want to open your Bible with me, that's okay. <clears throat> I'll pray that God will convict you when you get home. Matthew 21. Just kidding, of course. And, Una, would you flip that switch for those lights? And then if that's still on Cirque, maybe we could uncirc. Matthew 21. Title of my message this morning is the Triumphal Entries. Plural. And that's where I want to go this morning, the Triumphal Entries. Plural. Now you know there's just one, although it's recorded in three Gospels. 
Here in Matthew chapter 21 says, Now when they drew near Jerusalem and came to Bethphage at the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village opposite you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Loose them and bring them to me. And if anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord has need of them. And immediately he will send them. All this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophets, saying, Tell the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you lowly, and sitting on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. Which prophet said that? Come on, guys, look at your margins. Come on, look at your margins. You have one of those study Bibles? This is got a little footnote. It says 5A. Oh, Zechariah. Some of you got picked off by your first uh, note in Isaiah there. <clears throat> nice guess. Zechariah. By the way, I shared this last night. I know I've shared it before, but I see a lot of new faces this morning, so this is not new to me but or, or original with me, but Josh McDowell, in his book, Evidence That Demands a Verdict, uh, has a probability study in there about what, what the prob- mathematical probabilities are for one man or woman, one human being, to uh, fulfill eight prophecies that were given ahead of time in the Scriptures to fulfill eight prophecies in a lifetime. The probability is, is one, I, I think I misquoted last night, I'll probably do it again this morning, but one in 200 centillion or something. But the picture is this, and I love his picture. You take the state of Texas and you fill it two feet deep with silver dollars. And then you take out one silver dollar and you paint it red. And then you stand back and you throw it into the state of Texas and then you stir it. Stir the whole state. And then just pick up any passerby and say, excuse me, could you do me a favor? I'd like for you to reach into the state of Texas on your first try, pull out the red one. That is the mathematical probability of one human being fulfilling eight prophecies in their lifetime. Jesus is fulfilling a prophecy right here and, and others in this same passage, in the same day. And truly, here's the... For those of you who are old enough, the Paul Harvey part, the rest of the story is that Jesus fulfilled 40 prophecies in his lifetime. Way beyond the odds. You need lots of states of Texas to do the odds that Jesus fulfilled. Listen, you can trust him. He's God. He's got it in control. So the disciples went and did as Jesus commanded. They brought the donkey and the colt and laid their clothes on them and set him on them. And a very great multitude spread their clothes on the road. Others cut down branches from the trees and spread them on the road. Then the multitudes who went before and those who followed cried out, saying, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he had come into Jerusalem, all the city was moved. By the way, the word moved comes from the same word, that is given in the scriptures for earthquake. I mean, the place was moved. Saying, who is this? Ah, Jesus was rocking the house. (laughs) So the multitude said, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth of Galilee. Then Jesus went into the temple of God and drove out all those who bought and sold in the temple and overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. And he said to them, It is written, My house shall be called a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. Then the blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. But when the chief priests and scribes saw the wonderful things that he did and the children crying out in the temple and saying, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. And said to him, do you hear what these are saying? And Jesus said to them, yes. Have you never read out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants? You have perfected praise. And then he left them and went out to the city of of the city to Bethany. And he lodged there. This is Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem. And and it's celebrated today. And so it's appropriate for us to visit here again and to say it's Palm Sunday. It's the day of rejoicing. It's the day of Hosanna, the son of David, the one who comes to save us. Hosanna, save us. These people were announcing, we believe you're the Messiah. We believe you're the one. You're the king to come and you're the king of us. 
And you, I really enjoyed you this morning shouting these same things, and the worship was exciting for us today. And I was glad it just kind of ramped up a little bit. Because it, it ought to be a Hosanna day. Every day ought to be a Hosanna day, but today why not be a Hosanna day? We're in church. Let's have church. Let's not have a funeral. Amen. Let's rejoice. And so here this account is in the, in the Gospel of Matthew, and you'll find it also in Mark chapter 11 and Luke chapter 19. Those are the synoptic Gospels sharing the similar story and a little bit of variance in either one of those. But I want to talk this morning about the entries, plural. So let's cover this first one. What did Jesus demonstrate as he entered Jerusalem? Number one, he, he demonstrated his humility. It says here in the prophecy of Zechariah, he comes to you lowly. Lowly. The Greek word here is humility that is unassuming, considerate, gentle, mild, and meek. Jesus comes in humility. He knows who he is. He's not coming in any sort of rejected spirit. He's not coming with a low self-esteem. He's coming in humility, meekness, considerateness, gentleness. Mildness. He is unassuming. You know, when you know who you are in Christ, you can be this way. You can be this way. You don't have to be proud. You don't have to be trying to push your chest out and prove who you are all the time. You can just relax back and say, I know, I know who I am. Because I'm in Christ. Not who I am. It's who He is in me. Christ in you, the hope of glory. The life that I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God. I am not my own. I'm bought with a price. Therefore, I'm going to glorify God in my body and in my spirit, which belong to Him. Unassuming. You know, I've had many occasions in my life, as you have, I'm sure, to be offended. In fact, as I was driving out of here yesterday, you know, we have a signs out here we can put messages on. And I thought this morning as I was driving back in, I saw it again. I'm visual. So I saw our sign out there. And on the sign it said, guaranteed to offend in some way. (laughs) Big Bear Christian Center, guaranteed to offend in some way. We offend people. People offend us. And I've just decided, I made a decision a long time ago that Romans 6 is true. It says that I'm dead in Christ. And when people go to offend me, I go, you can't offend a dead man. There's no sense in it. The dead man will never get up. He doesn't roll over in his grave. He never yells back. He doesn't even care. He just lays there. You can go up here to the cemetery this afternoon and try it. Just go pick one and say, I don't like you. I can't believe how stupid you are. And it's just gonna, they're not going to get up. And if we are in Christ and we know who we are in Christ, people can do that stuff to us. We just say, hey, you can't hurt a dead man. I don't need to be assuming. Jesus comes and demonstrates his humility. The next thing he demonstrates entering Jerusalem is his kingdom reign. You know, the kings rode on donkeys. Horses, riding on horses is a symbol of war. It's a symbol of power. That's why God told kings back in the, in the Old Covenant, said when you become a king, there are certain things you shouldn't do. One is to pile up gold. One is to have a lot of women. And the other is to have a lot of horses. The issue of horses is power and authority and war, dominion. Jesus comes lowly riding on a donkey. See, when a king rides on a donkey, he's making a statement. It's a word picture. He's saying, I don't have to fight for who I am. I am the king. I don't need a horse to defend myself. I am the ruler. And here he comes, Jesus on the donkey. King of kings. Lord of lords. He's not coming to threaten war. He's coming in the establishment of his kingdom on earth. And he demonstrates it in this way, fulfilling prophecy. In verse 12, he, he demonstrates his authority and his power. He goes in and he begins to reclaim his father's house. I find it amazing that one Jewish man in this malay of activity inside the temple <clears throat> excuse me, uh, could come in and turn everything upside down and just get away with it. Guaranteed, if you went to a farmer's market over here on a Tuesday morning in the summertime and started throwing tables and dumping tents and yelling and screaming about the kingdom of God, they're going to haul you off. 
Maybe with a little white coat. <laughs> At least cuffs, right? Because you're nutso. And here's Jesus in his humility, bringing in and ushering into Jerusalem his kingdom, getting off the donkey, walking into his father's house, and just starts saying, you guys have made this a den of thieves. Some commentaries will take you back to Malachi chapter 3, verses 1 to 3, where it says he's going to straighten out the Levites. And he throws the tables and he runs them off and he says, my house, my father's house is going to be a house of prayer, not a den of thieves. And in his authority and in his power, he is unrivaled in the moment. He causes a stir, but nobody hauls him off. Why? Because he is in charge. Your Jesus has plenty of authority and power. I like the very fact that in verse 13, he demonstrates his purpose. And his purpose was to establish a house of prayer. My house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. And in verse 14, he demonstrates his love for people. After he causes the ruckus, he declares what he wants to establish, a house of prayer. And he's upset all the apple carts and dove boxes and everything else. Everybody else is in a stir. He turns and again is the same Jesus we've seen all the days of his ministry. It says the blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. Jesus in his triumphal entry, demonstrates his love for people. He's anti the bad stuff, very positive, pro the good stuff. Let me heal the needy. Let me find the wounded. Let me give them health again. Let me bring them life again. Let's get the wrong stuff out, get the right stuff in. This is Jesus in his triumphal entry. This is very simple. This is cursory. It's overview. And we've seen it before and we rehearse it again today. But I I want us to see that in his triumphal entry, these things are what he was demonstrating there. There's another entry I want to talk about in a few minutes and parallel these things. Now I'm going to fast forward history in the book. And I want to talk about next what Jesus accomplished when he entered heaven. This is about his entry into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. But what did Jesus accomplish when he entered heaven? Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4. I'll begin in verse 14. Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. The high priest in the temple was charged with going once a year with blood and putting it on the mercy seat on the Ark of the Covenant. This was under the law that only one man could go in once a year, Day of Atonement, bring in the blood and ask for forgiveness for himself and for the whole nation of Israel. And if the blood was accepted on the altar, then the sins of the nation were set ahead another year. They were not dismissed. The blood of bulls and goats cannot dismiss the penalty of sin. It simply set it ahead. And so every year you had to go back again and set ahead. And go in again next year and set ahead. And what were they setting ahead for? For the day when the Messiah would come to remove sin forever. The Lamb of God. John the Baptist says of Jesus walking towards him on the road. He says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Turn over to chapter 9 here. 
As you're turning there, I'll just remind us again, seeing then we have a high priest, a great high priest, who has passed through the heaven. Jesus is our high priest. Chapter 9, verse 11, But Christ came as high priest of the good things to come, with the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, Not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood. He entered the most holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer, sprinkling the unclean, sanctifies for the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? And for this reason, he is the mediator of the new covenant by means of death, for the redemption of the transgressions under the first covenant, that those who are called may receive the promise of the eternal inheritance. Jesus, by his own blood, went once for all into the most holy place. A place not made with hands, it says. Jesus did not go into the temple and stand before the ark, He took his blood after he shed it at the cross, was buried, and rose again, which we'll celebrate next week. He took the blood and presented it to the Father, his own, and said, this is the blood that is once for all. That's why Israel was looking for the Messiah. Their hope was, at some point in history, the Messiah will come and lift the burden of the sins of the nation that have been over and over and over every year, still hanging over our heads. He's coming. That's why it was a triumphal entry. They were celebrating, this is it. This is it. One more chapter over, chapter 10. 19. Therefore, brothers, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, do you remember that the high priest, it said that the Isatiah rope around his ankle. Or tie it to him somehow. Because if he went into the Holy of Holies with the blood and it was unacceptable and God did not accept the offering, that any man standing in the presence of God in a sinful state would die. And he'd just plunk over right there. And you can't go in after him because you'll die too. So that little thing pulled him out. I don't know if there's any history it ever happened. But you and I are now... As we sang this morning, the veil being torn in half. The Bible states for us that when Jesus died, the veil in the temple was torn in half from top to bottom. They've reconstructed what the the thickness of the veil would have been. And using the implements available at the season this was happening, The only thing that they had that was strong enough to potentially tear the veil in two was a couple of oxen. You know, they didn't have D9s and caterpillars and big tractors and pneumatic stuff, hydraulics. They just had oxen. They said, let's see if we could build a a veil the same thickness and let's see if we could just tear it in half. Hook a couple oxen to it. Use the implements of the day. They could not do it. And even if they could, they'd have had to start at the bottom. How are you going to get oxen up there? Man can't do that. That's what they proved. Man can't tear tear the veil. Only Jesus could tear the veil. From the top to the bottom. And by tearing it open, the Bible says, He demonstrated to us that the way in to the Holy of Holies was open. (laughs) Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I think of King David who brings the ark back into the city of David. There's no temple. There's no tabernacle. So what does he do? He builds a little spot and he puts it up there and he puts a little fly tent over the top and it's open to everybody. You get to see the ark. You get to be in the presence of God. Access was full and free. David is a demonstration of grace ahead of time. Historically, he's a picture of grace in approaching God. Anybody that approached the ark touched it. Remember Uzzah and those guys? and the, You know, they touched the ark, poof, pile of ashes. Problem. David puts it right there. There's a point when David realizes in his life that he has 
been so graced by God that the Bible says he goes in and he sits down in front of the ark. I, I get a picture of, of of this where he just he's shaking his head and he's dragging this chair and he comes and he just throws it there and he sits down with God. And he begins to say, why me? Why would you love me like this? Why did you choose my father's household? Why did you make me king? Why did you give me all this? I don't deserve any of this. I'm an adulterer. I'm a liar. I'm a killer. I'm a murderer. I'm a thief. I don't deserve this. But by grace, he's sitting right in the presence of God. And he's talking with God. And there's no high priest. And there's no blood. There's nothing. It's just him and God. He demonstrates for us that the, and when Jesus tears the veil in half, there was no ark in there. Historically, there's no ark. This is the curtain. And Jesus says, I'm tearing this open once and for all. Access is yours. We are so privileged that we can enter the presence of God. Any, we, in fact, we're kind of spoiled. Uh-huh. You know, it's like the people that live in Anaheim. You ever talk to somebody who lives in Anaheim? And they go, and they say, oh, I live in Anaheim. Oh, you go to Disneyland every day probably, right? People ask me, oh, you live in Big Bear. Do you ski? Do you? How many of us ski? You know, it's like, ah. It's available every day. Why would I want to do that? Right? Uh Uh-huh. Isn't that what happens? We get spoiled. But we have people that fly from all over the world to come ski here. And our question to them is, why? Why would you do that? Why not Vail? Why not somewhere else? The Alps or something. Because we're sort of bored with it. Hey, come on, this is where I'm going later. You hang a strap, get the seatbelts out. We have access to the Holy of Holies anytime, anywhere, and it's so convenient that we've grown cold to using it. Oh, somebody says, oh, you have access to the Holy of Holies? How often do you go? Oh, not too often. Kind of like Disneyland. You know, I live there. What? Careful. Therefore, brothers, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he consecrated for us through the veil, that is his flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our, and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembly of our, assembling of ourselves together as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. What Jesus accomplished when he entered heaven, we talked about what he demonstrated entering Jerusalem on the triumphal entry, but when he entered heaven, I wanted to go here because we need to see that he is the high priest that tore the veil and made the way open. His blood has been placed there for you and I so that we have access to the Father, unrestricted access to the throne of heaven. But it can only happen by blood. In fact, here across my page 922, Hebrews says, and without shedding of blood, there is no remission. There has to be blood. Verse 27 of chapter 9, it's appointed for men to die once, but after this the judgment. So Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many. Blood has made the way in for us. Now turn back to John 16 with me, please. And I'm going to cover a few passages here this morning that are important to build my case. John 16, verse 7. Jesus is talking with His disciples. Verse 5, He says, But now I go away to Him who sent me, and none of you asks me, Where are you going? But because I've said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. I'm leaving. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. Who's he talking about? He's talking about the Holy Spirit. It's past tense for us. We understand this. For them, they're saying, they're just sorry he's leaving. Where are you going? Don't leave us as orphans. So I won't leave you as orphans. I will send the Holy Spirit. I like the old King James. It's expedient 
that I go away. If I don't go, I can't send the Holy Spirit. What was the issue there? In Luke 24, 49, Jesus tells the disciples, Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you endued with power from on high. Now go with me to Acts chapter 1. Go to Jerusalem and wait until you're endued with power from on high. It's to your advantage that I go away. Excuse me, it's a habit I have. I like to find things. I just found these. I also found a car under the front row. It's a small one. But I think if I, somehow if I put these together... Yeah. Acts chapter 1, verse 4, being assembled with, together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which, he said, you have heard from me. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It's not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father has put in his own authority, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria to the end of the earth. And when he had spoken these things, while they watched, he was taken up and a cloud received him out of their sight. In case you're unfamiliar... After the resurrection, Jesus walked on the earth for 40 days and talked to people, went to lunch with people, sat with them, appeared to them for more than a month before the ascension. Some people think it was death, burial, resurrection, he was gone. No, he, he hung out for 40 days. And on that day, he, when he ascended in front of them on the 40th day, the angels appeared and said, why are you staring off into heaven? He's going to come back just like you left. He's coming in the clouds. We celebrate all this when we do communion. We, we talk about the blood when we have communion. All these things are tying together this morning for me. And even in the song service, I'm hearing the veil torn and the Jesus, the Holy One, and King of Kings and Lord of Lords, Messiah, rescue for sinners. It's all in this package today. Jesus took the blood and in before the Father. And turn with me here to, to uh, verse 33 or chapter 2, excuse me, verse 1, When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. Suddenly there came a sound from heaven of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one sat upon each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. By the way, chapter 1, verse uh, 14 says, These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. Uh, I'm just trying to pull this together, that Jesus birthed the church in a prayer meeting. He accomplished one of the things he did when he came into Jerusalem on the triumphal entry. He entered and said, my house is going to be a house of prayer. I've got to go so the Holy Spirit can come. And when when the Holy Spirit comes, he baptizes the prayer meeting of 120 people in an upper room who have been tarrying or waiting for the endowment with power for 10 days. From the 40th day of the resurrection and the ascension, excuse me, excuse me, the ascension to the day of Pentecost on the 50th day, and here comes the Holy Ghost. Why is this so significant? This is not just a chain of events for which we can put on the calendar and have celebrations. Passover is this week, starts Wednesday at sundown. You know, here it comes again. You you open your, your calendar, it's going to be in there if you've got the holidays on your calendar. Why? Just so you can know the date? Like your birthday? These things are significant to us because look at verse chapter 2, verse 33. At the end of Peter's message, because when the Holy Ghost comes and everybody's speaking in tongues, it says, as Paul told us, when I speak in tongues, my mind is unfruitful. I don't understand what I'm saying when I speak in tongues. You don't understand what you're saying when you speak in tongues. Your mind cannot comprehend what the Holy Spirit is saying in direct conference with God the Father. But nonetheless, Paul said, Paul the Apostle said, I I wish that all of you spoke in tongues, and I speak in tongues more than all of you. It's important to speak in tongues. It's important to be filled with the Holy Spirit. It is important to have God control the most unruly part of your body. James chapter 1 says this is the most unruly part of the body. 
It's a little match that sets a whole forest on fire. And this little guy is set on fire from hell. And I love quoting Pastor Mike. I get it wrong, but he goes, your teeth? That's just a fence. That's the fence that the tongue's supposed to stay behind it. Because it's unruly, it's set on fire from hell, James says. And I love the very fact that in an instant, in a miraculous moment, God can come and tame the unruly guy and teach him an entire language for which I use it now to speak directly to him. Peter finishes the first Holy Ghost sermon in verse 33 says, Therefore, being exalted to the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, He poured out this which you now see and hear. Okay, let's get this for a second. Jesus goes into the Holy of Holies. He first offers Himself as a sacrifice, a sinless lamb. A lamb without spot or blemish. That's what's required as a sacrifice. He presents Himself the Lamb of God. His blood is shed on the cross. He's buried. Three days later, He raises again. He talks with everybody for 40 days. and He says, now, I've got to go and present my blood on the altar that's not made with hands. It's the one that's in heaven before the Father. And it's expedient. It's necessary. It's to your advantage that I go. Because if I go and my blood, it doesn't say this, but you've got to study this out. And it'll bear out. When I present my blood in front of the Father, and He says, it's enough, then I will receive from Him the promise of the Holy Spirit, and I will send the Holy Spirit to you. If the Holy Spirit had not been poured out on Acts chapter 2, on the day of Pentecost, then that would signify to you and I that the blood of Jesus was not enough to forgive our sins. Jesus says, but if I go, and He comes, there's your signal. It's good enough. My blood has done the work. You're forgiven once for all. And the veil is torn. And you can come in. And you can be filled with the power of God. And you can have the Holy Ghost live inside of you. Constantly. So that you can say the life I now live. I live by the faith of the Son of God. I have this treasure in earthen vessels. That the excellency might be of God. Not of myself. This isn't about me anymore. It's about God living in and through me and you. So, God baptizes a prayer meeting, establishes what He said He wanted to establish. My house is going to be a house of prayer. People gather for prayer and the power of God pours out. We need more prayer meetings. We need more times together. We need more intercession. We need more individual prayer. We need more corporate prayer. Not just sitting around praying, 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 hoping. I'm talking about getting in front of God and and saying, God, fill us. Anoint us. Get, get in the salt shaker and anoint the salt and then shake it out into the world. Turn on the lights. Trim the wicks. Pour in the oil of the Holy Spirit. Let the light shine. There's purpose in our lives. John chapter 14 verse 12. Now, we've talked about what Jesus demonstrated when he entered into Jerusalem. His humility, his kingdom reign, his authority and his power, his purpose to establish the house of prayer, and his love for people. When Jesus, what he accomplished when he entered heaven was he put his blood on the altar in front of the Father. He received the promise of the Holy Spirit. It was to our advantage that this take place, and he poured out his power, and he birthed the church in a prayer meeting. And he's still doing the same thing today. He's pouring out his spirit. He's given to us the promise of being filled with his spirit and having power. Acts 1.8, you will receive power. You know, the word power is the word dunamis. It means dynamic, supernatural, above your ability. Power. Yeah, it's the root word for dynamite. Explosive, supernatural power. Can I make an indictment against the church? Sure, go ahead. Thank you. (laughs) I'm not schizophrenic. (laughs) Yes, you are. (laughs) And I'm not making fun. I know that's a situation people face. The church is weak. The church has decided we can do it all ourselves. Man, we got comfortable chairs. I'm talking about the church, not just Christian Center, okay? You know, when you go watch it on TV or hear it on whatever, wherever you see it, 
you know, we don't have a real view of the church in America. I'm accusing us right now. I'm, you know, come pull me off with cuffs or whatever. We've become weak, spineless, comfortable. I mean, unless we got a two-inch padded, two-hour chair, we're not going to go. Unless I can dial it in my comfort of my place with my own coffee cup and my own stuff, I just might not show up. We are we have catered the church to people for so long that you and I have become spoiled, and we think this is the way it's supposed to be. I think it's time to shake it up. I think it's time God wants to speak to His church again and and make a mess. You think Acts chapter two was orderly? I mean, they got people speaking in tongues. The whole place is shaking the city. What's going on? And people are accusing them of being drunk. I mean, I could not accuse anybody here this morning of being drunk. You're all sitting upright, smiling, looking very nice. I mean, nobody's falling out of their chair. Nobody stumbled in here. It'd be okay if they did. They're welcome. But to be so inebriated by the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit... And to be able to have Peter rise up finally in his impetuous spirit, now controlled by the Holy Ghost, and begins to say, now this is what I was built for. (laughs) No more sword whacking off ears and being, you know, I'll never leave you, Jesus, and don't wash my feet. And, you know, this Peter. Who, him? I never heard of him. Are you kidding? (laughs) Right? We're talking about Peter here. Peter gets filled with the Holy Ghost and he stands up and he begins to pull Scripture together. This is that which is spoken by the prophet Joel. This is it. Jesus said it was important. He had to go away. He was going to send the promise. It's here. And he begins to look them in the eye and say, You guys, you killed them. It's in the message. You killed them. He's the Son of God. He's the Messiah. You ignored who he was. You killed them. But now there's hope because you can repent. And it's so powerful that the guy cries out, says, men and brothers, what should we do? I haven't had a service like that in a long time. Nobody comes in here and goes, what should we do? Get saved. Repent. Get baptized. Be redeemed. Be set free. And God will give you the promise of the Holy Spirit too. Because He wants to endue us with power and He wants to shake things up to the point that we're disturbing people. We're not just obnoxious, we're disturbing them. How do you say we just all go down to front of Brown Bear, Jack in the Box, and just get a crowd and start speaking in tongues? Is that going to do it? Maybe. If he was to pour out his spirit on a gathering of believers anywhere, and it got, we'd hear news of it, wouldn't we? I'd like for them to hear the news of us, that God's in the house. John 14, 12, Jesus said, Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me. Wait a minute, stop. Is that you? Look up here. Do you believe in him? Come on now, don't hold back. You can get it. You can say, you can say, no, it's okay. You may not want to commit. I'm about to read the rest of the verse. Do you believe in him? Yes. He who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than these, He will do because I go to my Father. Because I go to the Father. And I send back the promise. And I send back the the truth of my redemption. I send back the fact that my blood was enough. You will be empowered with dunamis, above natural, supernatural, dynamite, explosive, Holy Ghost power. And be able to do the things I did. And greater things than I did. Hey, listen, come on. When's the last time we did something greater than Jesus did? Can you pray for me? I don't feel good. Yes, Lord, help the doctors figure out what's wrong. (laughs) Give them, give them peace. Give them comfort. Hey, we had a situation just recently, and I won't go naming names, but I'll just give you the story. Right here in town. One of the brothers in the church, the body of Christ, leaving the place of business, and there's a guy there that is just whacked out. He's just... Whew. And the conviction comes on this brother. He says, you know, I really ought to talk to him, but I don't want to. You know, it's laborious sometimes to deal with those people, right? He drives off. He's driving off. The guy says, you got to go back and talk to him. So okay. 
gets things squared away, goes back. He says to the guy, I'm sorry, I left. I kind of left abruptly. I really didn't want to be in one. I'll forget. Anyway, I'm here. I mean, I came here. Jesus wants me to talk with you. And out of this guy in the conversation comes demonic manifestation. I mean, he's all over the map. But every now and then he stops. He speaks right in this brother's past and, and, and pulls out something that's in him that hurts him. And I got to be just like you had a woundedness in your spirit and the enemy knows about it. Whatever it is, you know, you lost a parent or, you know, you had a failure of some kind in your life and the enemy's aware of those things. <clears throat> and so right in the middle of the conversation, this guy would stop and say, so how about that in your life? You know, if you weren't, if you didn't have your socks on right, you might think God was talking to you, right? And you begin to realize, God wanted me to talk to this guy, not because he needs me to talk to him, but he's teaching me that I, there's a spiritual warfare going on all the time. This guy knows things about me supernaturally. And basically, this guy's deranged out of his mind because there's demonic oppression, maybe even demonic possession in this guy's life. And we're just talking right here in town, folks. They're your neighbors. That's the answer. All your neighbors are demon-possessed. <laughs> no. Now you know. Sure glad we get to have fun here. The problem is some of this gets out on the Internet and other people hear it. I'll never get another job. He talks to the guy for a while, and, and then eventually, you know, it gets really obvious what's going on, what kind of exchange this is. This is not your regular down at the, the dollar store moment, you know. And so they part company, and we talked about that later on. I thought, wow, that's powerful. I mean, to be able to say, wait a minute. I have a charge here, don't I? Don't we have a charge? Mark chapter 16. What did Jesus say? Later he appeared to the eleven as they sat at the table and he rebuked their unbelief. Ooh! He rebuked their unbelief and hardness of heart because they did not believe those who had seen him after he had risen. And he said to them, Go into all the world, preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved. He who does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will follow those who believe. In my name, they will cast out demons. Golly, sounds like it's still needed today. Because people are possessed. People are oppressed by the devil. The Bible says Jesus went everywhere, healing and delivering, healing and delivering those who are oppressed of the devil. Isn't that what the Bible says? You remember that verse? Jesus went everywhere, healing all who were sick and delivering those who were oppressed by the devil. And what did Jesus say in John 14, 12? Those who believe in me, you said you were believers. I said I was a believer. The things that I have done, you will do also. And greater things, because I go to the Father. The only way it's going to happen is because he went to the Father. And he sent back the power of God, the Holy Ghost, to dwell in us. And give us the ability to be engaged in this conversation and, and just begin to demand things. Oh, I'm sorry. I, th- I thought I was talking to a human being. I'm talking to a demon. And I bind you in the name of Jesus. Yes. You're trespassing on a body that God created for his own glory. You're living inside of a person. And you say, you just shut up. You just hold your peace right now. We're going to do business with you. You're going to come out of this guy before we're done. I'm not leaving until you're gone. And I have authority. Luke 10.19. Jesus said, I give you all authority over all the power of the enemy and nothing by any means will hurt you. You're not going to hurt me. You can't hurt me. In Jesus' name, I command you to leave this man. And just like the demonic Gadara, this guy at the Dollar Tree, or wherever he's at, and I'm just using that as an example, he's going to sit down in his right mind, maybe for the first time in a decade, and shake his head and go, wow, <laughs> how did I get here? And say, well, brother, you got, you got here because Jesus brought you right here, and now it's time to accept him. We got the problem dealt with, and the demon's gone. Now you're in your right mind. Let's, let's follow Jesus. Say, amen, I will. How do I let Jesus in? Listen, we have got to start being the church again. Does that mean you've got to go out and cast out demons today? Yes! Yes! I know some of you are going to wait till tomorrow. It's okay. In my name, they'll cast out demons. 
They'll speak with new tongues. They'll take up serpents, and if they drink anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick, and they'll recover. No more. Now, Jesus helped the doctors do the good thing. You know, I love the people at Loma Linda. I've spent a lot of time at Loma Linda in the hospitals, doing, seeing them do miraculous stuff there. Those people are trained, in my opinion, to do miracles in, in their trade. But it's not always what's going to happen. There's coming a day when we just need to say, lay hands on the sick and let Jesus right. do the work. Right. Let the physician loose. Yes. Don't just keep putting him off saying, well, Jesus, I know you probably could do this, but, you know, I haven't seen it in a while. And I'm not sure. And I'm kind of... What did he rebuke them for? Unbelief. Unbelief and hardness of heart. This is what I think the message is to the church. We need a second triumphal entry. That triumphal entry that Jesus wants to triumph, He wants to once again demonstrate in the church that He is Lord, that He is God, and that He's in charge. And that His people are flowing in the Holy Ghost and power. And that the earth has now a hope again of a people who can go out and tell them the truth and see them get set free. Isn't this what we need to be doing? It was expedient that He goes so we could be endued with power from on high and we could begin to bring deliverance again into our community and everywhere we go. The word rebuke here, I looked it up. It's kind of a funny word. It's morphed over the over time. But it has a connotation to it of a couple of little boys in the schoolyard kind of picture where one's picking on the other one. And he just taunts them until the other guy gets mad enough to fight back, right? A little push, call them names, nanny, 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 you know, your mama kind of stuff. <laughs> and is this going to taunt them until finally this guy explodes and they go at it? There's sarcasm involved in it. It's hard for me to take that word and apply it to Jesus, but... Can you, can you let me get a little <clears throat> creative here for a moment? You don't have to accept this. This is extra biblical. But in my mind, I see Jesus walking and talking and sleeping and eating and breathing and doing miracles with these guys for three years. They're friends. Now he's alive from the dead. And he's standing in front of them. And they've not believed those who brought the report that he was alive from the dead. Jesus is you guys have a little problem with this, are you? Can't quite. Am I, am I scaring you? <laughs> Life from the dead. You guys don't get it yet? Come on, boys. What's the problem? Taunt, taunt. A little sarcasm. I, I'm, I know it's extra biblical. I told you that. But I see Jesus with his friends. They're still scratching their heads a little bit. I don't think he'd have done what I'd have done. I'd go, boom. You know, there's another point where they thought he was a ghost. I'm not being too far out. I'm just saying he kind of taunts them. Boys, I'm a little upset with you about your hardness of heart and your unbelief. We've talked about it before. Remember the loaves and fishes? We did that. We fed 5,000. Within a few days, you couldn't figure it out. You remember that? I had to say, guys, how long has it been? Did you forget about the last time we did this? Your unbelief is holding you bound. Okay, get the loaves and fishes. Let's do it again. You guys got to get it. I am resurrected from the dead. I am alive from the dead. I've been here for 40 days. Come on, boys. Wake up. Get the crust off. Get the hardness of heart gone. Get rid of the unbelief. Quit listening to the accuser of the brethren. Revelation chapter 12. I want to thank Mark Jesse. He's helping me with this message this week right here. We talked earlier and he brought this to my mind and I thought, yes, this fits. Revelation chapter 12, verse 10. Then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of His Christ have come. For the accuser of our brothers who accused them before our God day and night has been cast down. And they overcame him, they, the brothers, overcame him, the accuser, by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. And they didn't love their lives to the death. 
Can I try my best to bring this together right here? Your accuser, the accuser of the brothers, the devil, and all the demons that exist, day and night, day and night, they're 24-7, 365, accusing the church. Someone's always showing up in front of God saying they're failing, they're no good, it's your creation, it's a bogus thing, it's, they're, they're unholy, they're liars, they're cheaters, they're thieves, they're all these things. Accuse, accuse, accuse. And when they're not in front of God doing it, they're at your house. Now listen, remember, the devil is not omnipresent. He cannot be everywhere at once. There's only one, and he's a created being. He has to be in one spot at one time. I doubt it's at your house. But there are demons under his charge. There are principalities and powers. There's spiritual wickedness in high places, according to Ephesians chapter 6. And they go about constantly accusing the saints. The accuser of brethren is cast down in the triumphal entry at the cross. All these things were accomplished. His kingdom came. He established who he was. He rode on the donkey. I am the king. And this was no advertisement. I am the Lord of Lords. I am in charge. I don't need a horse. I can ride the donkey. It's not a problem for me. I know who I am. And my father's house is going to be a house of prayer. Let's heal the sick. Let's help the wounded. Let's raise the dead. Let's set the captives free. Isaiah 61. This is his message. And then he hands it to us and says, Now it's expedient. I go away. The blood's on the altar. The Holy Ghost is given. The confirmations are all you need. You've got it. You've got it all. Now go and do what I did. And, and he even proved it by doing it with the disciples before the death, burial, resurrection, and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Gave them authority in person. Said, go do this. Chapter 10, Luke, they come back saying, even demons are subject to us in your name. Jesus said, don't rejoice that the demons are subject to you. Rejoice that your names are written down in heaven. Keep your priorities right. Rejoice you're saved. You're going to heaven. You've got good news to share with other people. That there's a way to be forgiven. There's a way to be right with God. There's a way to walk on the earth in pleasantness instead of distress. And when you need the power, it's yours. Because He lives within. Just don't back up from it. Get the unbelief off the heart. Break down the crusty part of you that says, I just can't accept it. You know, it's been too long that the power of God has not been in the church. It's been too long. We need Him to flow in and through us and with us. We need to have such a power-filled life and church body in the kingdom of God that people are disturbed by it. Oh, they're drunk. Are you kidding? It's too early in the morning to be this drunk. This is the Holy Ghost. This is a fulfilled prophecy. You need to repent, be baptized, and you too can have the same experience of being filled with the power of God. Jesus rebukes them for their unbelief and the hardness of heart. And I would love to rebuke the church, us, for being unbelieving. We've got everything we need. We have total access to the throne room of heaven. All of heaven is at our disposal. The power of God living inside. And we're settling for way too little. When the accuser of the brothers comes to you, you've seen the picture, the little cartoon thing, little devil on one side, little angel on the other. Right? And they're all vying for attention. I mean, they demonstrate that. Walt Disney did that, I think, in cartoons for kids. Go, be bad. No, we don't do that. Listen, when the accuser comes to you, would you just give him a lesson? Let me take you back to one of the songs you sang this morning. Second Corinthians. The accuser comes, I don't know, it kind of comes from this side for me. I'm visual. You ever have thoughts that aren't yours? And you wonder about yourself in that moment. I saw a t-shirt, I think it said something like, um, don't mind me, I'm listening to the voices or something. And he comes and he, he often wants to remind me that I'm unworthy. You're so unworthy. You tell God all these things, you're going to do all this stuff, and then you never do any of that. You say holy, you go sing holy, holy, holy. You are so unholy. You're such a loser. I can't even think, I don't know why you'd ever pray again. He's never listening to you. You ever hear these kind of thoughts? You know, 
You shouldn't even go today. You shouldn't even be in the cell group. Those people, they don't like you anyway. <laughs> so what I do is I just reach up and grab them by the neck. Can't see him. Can't feel him. But I know he's there. A little demon and say, oh, it's time for me to train demons today. Hold it. Don't go anywhere. Stay right there. I would like for you to read some scripture with me. He hears scripture. He's ready to go. So no, no, stay. I'll tell you when to leave. I'm in charge. Now look over my shoulder and I'll read out loud for you in case you're a little hard of hearing. This was in uh, 2 Corinthians 5.21. It says, He made him, for he, God, you know God, made him, Jesus, you know Jesus, who knew no sin to be sin for us, that's me, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Oh, are you paying attention, devil? Jesus died so that I could have his righteousness. I'm not righteous. I could agree with you on that point. But I'm telling you right now that I don't have to agree with you any further than that because I am the righteousness of God in Christ. I'm accepted in Jesus. The Father loves me. I've been redeemed. I've been forgiven. And you need to pay attention to me right here. Because this is what the Word of God says. The accuser of, a, of the brothers is cast down by two things. The blood of the Lamb and the Word of my testimony. My agreement with what God says about the condition I'm in. Now the Bible says in Romans 8, we could spend a whole year in Romans chapter 8. There's no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh but after the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set me free from the law of sin and death. Verse 11. If the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead dwells in me, He'll also quicken my mortal body. Toward the end of the chapter, what shall separate us from the love of God? Height, depth, principalities, powers, anything? Is there anything that can separate us from the love of God? No. It's nothing. And the accuser comes constantly to accuse. And it is your authority. It is your responsibility. It is your victory to enforce what Jesus did at Calvary. 1 John 3, verse 8 says, For this reason Jesus was manifest to destroy, strip alive the works of the devil, to render him powerless. We're living below our means, church. Individually and corporately, we're way below. That's why, you know, we talk about having revivals. We need to have revival. When something's ebbing, life is ebbing away, it needs CPR. You know, we've got to try and get it to breathe again. The church needs to be revived. The only thing that can revive us is a fresh visitation of His presence, His Spirit in our homes, in our cars, in our work. Wouldn't it be nice to have a lunch break at work with the Holy Ghost in powers? Just like, oh, is it time to go back already? I want to pray for you this morning for a revival in your spirit, for a revival and a fresh infilling of the Holy Ghost in power, for a triumphal Entry. This is why I said triumphal entries, plural. One was into Jerusalem to establish and demonstrate certain things. He needs another triumphal entry into me, where he becomes Lord of Lords, King of Kings, and on the throne of my heart and yours, and then commissioned me to go and do the same works that he did and greater because he went to the Father and sent the Holy Ghost. Would you like me to pray with you today? Let's stand together then and let's pray. Father, we stand before you. We're not just standing because it's time to stand. Lord, at invitation to stand in your presence, we stand before you. Jesus, I thank you that you have won the victory. I thank you that you have made an open show of the devil. I thank you that you have made a victorious uh, process that has removed our sin, our transgression, and our penalty. Thank you that you have given us the gift of eternal life and eternal redemption. And we stand in it today. We stand before you. We give you praise. And we thank you and say that you alone are Lord and you alone are God. You are the King of kings and Lord of lords. 
We've given you our hearts and our lives, and we pray that you, the great baptizer with the Holy Ghost and power, will once again baptize your church. Infill us again. Overflow us again. Cry out to God. Ask Him to do it for you. Flow into the church by your presence, God. Come, Holy Spirit, you're welcome here. You're welcome in our homes. You're welcome in our businesses. You're welcome in our cars. Invade us. Overflow us. Cause us again to cry out for your power to be loosed in us personally and corporately. Anoint your church. Bring the unction from on high. Oh God, we need it. We we repent of our weakness. We repent of our hard-heartedness. God, we confess to you that we have been unbelieving at times. We've been more willing. We have been more willing to trust ourselves and to trust man, to trust the comforts of what we've learned than to lean ourselves fully upon your grace. Forgive us. Jesus, come. Recommission us today. Infill us. Indwell us. Endue us. Clothe us upon with power. Give us a right mind about spiritual warfare. Help us to see when we're standing in the presence of demonic to take authority over it and to cast it out. Give us your ability to claim this community in Jesus' name. Wherever we go, wherever the foot uh, treads, where the sole of our foot treads, uh, passes on land, Lord, let us claim it all for you. Let us give, uh, by your anointing and your presence, drive back every principality and power. Lord, I know businesses are going to go out of business because your presence will come to this community. Lord, places that sell sin and enticement to the enemy's life will have to close their doors. Lord, churches will not be big enough. Homes will have to be used because of the revival that comes by your Spirit. Lord, do a work in our community. Do a work in the community of the saints. Do a work in me. I ask it in Jesus' name for his sake and for his glory, for his honor, that he might ride into my life, into our lives, into triumphal entry, and have his way from today forward. Give us great resolve in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord.